All right, good morning, everybody. We decided to turn this into a dance party today, so feel free to groove in your seats or not. <laughs> Everybody's looking like, what are you talking about, dude? Good morning to you. My name's Rollin. I'm uh, the lead pastor here, and it's good to see you today. Guys, I wanted to, um, as always, uh, celebrate a couple things um, with you. Um, today, if you have the opportunity, you can go back um, and really say a big old happy birthday and a thank you to one of our great, great uh, servants in the house, uh, Miss Kimberly Mankin. Uh, today's her birthday today. She's probably taking care of some of your kids right now. And so um, it is fantastic. Please make sure to um, honor her, uh, celebrate her as they're going to be celebrating her um, birthday today. Um, we had some promotions and new jobs this week. I won't say who. Um, it's exciting and good. We had um, actually last night an event. And um, the good news is um, more people were getting right with Jesus um, last night as we were able to preach the Word of God. Isn't that good news? Right? We preach the Word of God and people choose to give their lives to the Lord and give their lives to Jesus. And God was moving again last night. And uh, it's good news. So um, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for um, all that you're doing um, to serve Jesus in the city. And we're going to jump right into the Word today. I realize today is a uh, Bears game. And so... Um, I know that some of you are looking to get to your screens as soon as possible, um, but before that, let's open the Word of God. God, we thank you so much for this uh, good news that you've given us today. God, we thank you that um, you've shown us through your Word how to continually be in the world, but not of it. God, that you've shown us how to model your son, Jesus, as we walk with him and are sanctified by him. God, we thank you for the cross, and we thank you for uh, really taking our punishment, our sin, our shame and rising from the dead so that we could have new life and eternal life in you. God, we're asking you that as we study your word today, you would help us um, to not only love you appropriately as we leave this place, um, but also show others how to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today, <clears throat> today, if you um, are just joining us for the first time, what we've been doing is we've been going through a series um, in the book of Daniel, who is an Old Testament prophet, and uh, we've been doing a series called In It, Not Of It, really trying to communicate how we should live as the people of God in a world that doesn't honor him, but actually not be detached from the world, but fully engaged in it, and actually being the salt and the light in the midst of the world so that we could affect kingdom change in it. And so today, as we uh, uh, jump back into Daniel, um, we're going to actually entitle the message, Wake Up Call. Wake Up Call. Um, because what we've been doing is we've been observing how Daniel, his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been utilized um, by God to really uh, interact with the kingdom that did not know God. It was a pagan kingdom, Babylon, that the Israelites had gone into exile to. And uh, in the midst of that kingdom, God was doing supernatural things, signs, wonders, miracles, allowing Daniel to interpret dreams that uh, God was already sending Nebuchadnezzar prior to Nebuchadnezzar ever communicating the good news to him. And so um, we are going to talk about the wake-up call that Nebuchadnezzar was given, because last week what I did is I made, made mention of a tool that the church has been able to utilize for years called the angle scale. And we tried our best to get it on the uh, screen today, but it doesn't always translate the images. Um, so we're going to invite you to utilize your phone today, okay? We know you're doing so anyway, so you can go ahead and <laughs> bring out your phone. And actually, if you would, you can look up uh, angle scale. Angle spelled E-N-G-E-L apostrophe S. Angle scale, okay? 
angle scale. And what the angle scale was, was a tool that um, a man utilized to show the progression of faith for us all. When we look at the life of Daniel, we see as he's interacting with Nebuchadnezzar that all of us are always in one position or another. We're either in the position of Daniel, who knows God, worshiping God, and is trying to make God known, or we're in the position of Nebuchadnezzar, who God is making an appeal to and trying to make himself known there. And so this angle scale um, shows basically the interaction or the dance, if you would, um, unto that wake-up call. And basically, if you go to one of the images, you see uh, on your Google Google list, there's um, an image that is entitled this spiritual decision process. Does everybody see that? Okay, the spiritual decision process, if you want to enlarge that, that's sort of what we're going to uh, briefly uh, touch on and really use this to understand even his interaction with Nebuchadnezzar during this time. So um, as we begin Daniel chapter 4, we see that once again, uh, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't quite getting it. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had um, brought the exiles to uh, Babylon and he had trained them in the ways of Babylon. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had chosen not to defile themselves with the king's table and the things that he was offering. Um, They ended up in the midst of not defiling themselves, being 10 times better than all of the other wise men. And that's what the people of God should really have a faith for, right? That as we consecrate ourselves to God, we end up 10 times better than even the wise men or the enchanters or those who are doing things around us because God's ways, he's able to empower us. In fact, when we're living by the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ. Christ. Isn't that good news, right? The most intelligent one, the intelligent designer of all the universe. And so um, we see that he didn't get it then, meaning Nebuchadnezzar. Then we see that in Daniel chapter 2, he started to be unsettled by the dreams that God was sending him. He needed an interpretation. The wise men weren't able to interpret it. And so finally, Daniel, using his prophetic gift, was able to not only declare the dreams that Nebuchadnezzar was having, but also give their proper interpretation. So he was able to honor God for his supernatural power in that um, instance. And then Uh, in Daniel chapter 3 that we uh, talked about last week, we see that it was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace when uh, Nebuchadnezzar was uh, trying to bring unity in his pluralistic kingdom and trying to build an image that the people of that kingdom would, in a unified manner, bow down and worship. The uh, Israelites refused to do that. They were persecuted, thrown into the fire, but then there was one like the son of the gods, Jesus himself, like actually showing up in their midst and actually preserving them in the midst of the fiery furnace, delivering them. And actually it was a supernatural sign and wonder. So Nebuchadnezzar's response at that time was, hey, if anybody even speaks a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm going to rip them limb from limb. So not always, again, what we want the response to be, but nonetheless, he was progressing to a proper understanding and knowledge of God. So if you look on this angle scale, what you see is, is once again in Daniel chapter four, God himself is giving dreams to Nebuchadnezzar, once again unsettling him. Once again, Nebuchadnezzar is going and asking for interpretation from the dreams. He doesn't go immediately to Daniel um, because uh, even though Daniel in Daniel chapter 2 was the only one who could interpret his dreams, but he once again tries to bring around him his wise men and his enchanters and his Chaldeans. They're unable to do it again. But what we see on the uh, angle scale as you have that open is sort of this process that Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar are going through rather, more importantly, God and Nebuchadnezzar are going through. What you see up top is uh, three different categories. You see in the different columns, you see in any type of work, 
there's God's role, right? That God was the initiator in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He started the work in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And if anybody's going to have their eyes open to the kingdom of God and the gospel of God, God himself has got to be involved. It's not our own effort. It's not our own ability. It's actually God making himself known. But then you also see right next to that, to the right, the communicator, communicator's role. That's our role, right? That's our role as children of God, sharing the good news of Jesus as we are testifying to his goodness and grace. And then finally, man's response. That's where Nebuchadnezzar would have fallen. Nebuchadnezzar would have fallen under man's response and how he was responding to things over the course of time. So if we go down this very quickly, um, we'll get into the scripture. We see that over on the left side, continually prior to somebody finally bowing their knee to Jesus. And you might have um, understood this if you did not grow up in the church like myself, and you had people continually coming to you, talking to you, testifying to you about the faith. It didn't happen immediately, but it happened over the course of time. And that should be the encouragement to any Christian, right? That as you're testifying to people in your workplace, in your, um, in your neighborhood, in your family, that it takes some time for God's conviction to actually seep in and work in someone's eyes, um, life to open their eyes to him. And you see that conviction prior to a conversion is what is continually happen- happening. That was what was happening in Daniel chapter 1 through 3. The communicator's role you see in the next column is the proclamation. The proclamation and a call for a decision, which we'll ultimately see Daniel doing in Daniel chapter 4 today. But you see man's response, it almost starts in a negative place, right? In terms of a scale from negative 8 to positive 3, it's sort of a progression that people are going on when they're trying to understand the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And Nebuchadnezzar, in in his particular case, he did not necessarily have um, an awareness of God Almighty, but he had an awareness of a supreme being, right? He had an awareness of the gods, as he called it, the pluralistic gods, as um, he declared it in the um, scripture. And so though they were false deities, we see that he had at least a sensitivity to those gods. And many of you have friends or coworkers or family members who have a spirituality about them. They don't necessarily cling to the gospel. They don't cling to the things of Jesus, but at least they're willing to acknowledge a power higher than themselves, right? Then we see that as they're getting the testimony of God or the truth of God sown into them, or God himself is showing himself to them, then it progresses through these different stages. Some knowledge of the gospel, knowledge of the fundamentals of the gospel, negative six, grasp of personal implications of the gospel. Negative four is positive attitude toward, act of, um, toward an act of becoming a Christian. Number, negative three, problem recognition and intention to act. I'm like finally getting that God wants to do something in my life. And in negative two, there's a decision to act. And then finally, it comes to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus. That as God continues to show himself to you, this is something that we don't have time to really dive into in this moment but you could look at the chart later as God's continuing to progress in you. It's almost like he's drawing you a line along the line of a string, right? He's drawing you closer to himself, little by little by little, until eventually you're able to act. You're able to repent and put your faith in Jesus and the good news of the gospel, and then be transformed by him and made new in him. This is a process that we are to utilize whenever we're thinking through the progress that people are making as they're coming to Christ. So let's turn to Daniel chapter four today. 
and see where Nebuchadnezzar finds himself. Let's skip down um, past the initial part because in uh, Daniel 4, 1 through 9, it's basically just once again Nebuchadnezzar testifying after he'd been reached by God. And it says this in verse 1. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Many of you know friends or family members, co-workers like this, right? At ease in my house and prospering in all that I put my hand to. Then I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might know, make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the vision of my dream that I saw and their interpretation." So once again, this is not the first time that Nebuchadnezzar is experiencing or receiving dreams from God or an interpretation from him. But it's once again, God saying along this angle scale, I'm having to make an appeal once again to him because you didn't get it the first time. You didn't get it the second time. You didn't get it the third time, but I'm once again, making an appeal to you. And in the midst of this, what God's about to do, as we see in the rest of Daniel chapter four, is he's going to challenge very directly Nebuchadnezzar's worldview. We all have worldviews. We all have a filter through which we see the world. And ultimately, God is going to present himself and humble Nebuchadnezzar in such a way that the trust that he has in his particular worldview is shattered so that he could bow his heart and his knee before the only true God found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, what was Nebuchadnezzar's worldview? Nebuchadnezzar's worldview, just very simply, was that he was invincible, that he is a self-made king, right? You see later in Daniel chapter four that he talks about all that his leadership had done, all that his hands had done to put together the vast kingdom that he was now ruling over in Babylon. He was talking about his power, his intelligence, his acumen, his leadership, and his skill. And he was often referring to himself as one who was favored by the deities, right? What are the worldviews of the people who surround you on a daily basis? It might be similar to that of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar's. The things in which people put their trust might be things such as these, their youth, their beauty, their economic status or earning power, their intelligence and sense of progress or enlightenment in the world that they live in. They might think in of themselves that they too are invincible or that they'll be young forever, free to live as they choose without consequence, right? Whenever we hear over and over again, the hashtag YOLO, right? You only live once. It's basically a perversion of this idea of invincibility, right? It's sort of like you only live once. I've got to get it right here, right now. Only today matters. That's the worldview that people live with. But 
this one that God himself comes to shatter because he's the eternal God and he's the one who says, you're going to have to stand before me in judgment, giving an account for the life that you're living. And I'm going to bring you into eternity, either as an enemy of mine to receive that judgment or as a friend of mine, forgiven, sanctified, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilled on you for the cross to bring you into the eternal kingdom of um, of our God. Now, when we see this, we see that ultimately when people are dealing with something opposed to God's understanding of the world that he created, then they're in a delusion, right? They're in a delusion. If we're to break up the message today, it's really simply three parts. It's basically the delusion that people find themselves in, the dream that God gives them to break them free of that delusion, and then finally, the grace or the, um, or so the doubling um, of grace that he brings them into once he humbles them. And what we see is that he had to break Nebuchadnezzar of his worldview if he was ever going to come into proper relationship with him. And so what did he do? He gave him circumstances that would break him. He gave him ultimately circumstances that would break him in his life. And that's what we see so often, right? That people resist God over and over again until they come to a place of their own limitations. They end up being broken in their spirit, broken in their pride, broken in their hubris. And then they cry out to a God who actually wants to give them grace and made them for good things in the first place. Timothy Keller actually said it this way. He said, properly understood Christianity is by no means the opiate of the people. That's what educated people usually say about Christianity, right? It's just the opiate, like Karl Marx, opiate of the people. But instead, it is more like the smelling salts. Christianity is more like the smelling salts that wake people up from their stupor, that wake people up from their false notion of what it means to be in control of and in charge of their own lives. And what God uses in Nebuchadnezzar's case is this dream. Turn with me, if you will, down to Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. He calls Daniel in to interpret this dream. And then, unfortunately, Daniel gets the revelation of this dream. And Daniel basically says in verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, for his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. This dream, unfortunately, is about you. It's not about your enemies. It's it's about you. I'm going to start helping you. I'm, help you. I'm going to help you to interpret what's going on. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king was a, saw a watcher, which was a word in ancient uh, cultures or um, uh, you know, civilizations for a, a sort of a divine being, it was um, what they even used in like the book of Enoch or other things like that uh, to be an angelic being, the watchers, okay? a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. 
This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the root of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity." What's happening here? Daniel gets the interpretation of the dream, and God ultimately comes and says, listen, your pride and your hubris are over. I'm coming to show you that I'm king. I'm king of kings, and I'm lord of lords. And ultimately, God's judgment on Nebuchadnezzar in his case was he was driving Nebuchadnezzar into senility for a period of time. He was driving him to a place of madness, this was literally a medical condition that some people call um, where they, they begin to think they're like animals and uh, they begin to act like animals. That's actually a real mental condition that takes place. And we see even historically that not much is written of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom or his rulership after this period, except that he went for a period of time missing, per se. Even in the history books, he went missing because he was driven into senility until, as the scripture says, he was able to acknowledge that heaven itself rules. God himself is ruler of all. And the only thing that he's able to enact in terms of his power or strength or might came from the hand of God himself. And unless he was willing to acknowledge the God of heaven who rules over heaven and earth, he would be in judgment. And ultimately, this is what happens to people who surround us. Maybe this has happened to you presently, or maybe this has happened to you in your past. It's the thing that actually brought you to Jesus. I know many a friend who actually had to be broken in their circumstances. They had to be broken in terms of their financial state. They had to be broken in terms of the relationships that they set up as a God before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They had to be broken in their sense of identity. Many of my friends were athletes, and so they had to have some sort of injury that took place, that took them out of their career that was going forward at breakneck speed. They were looking forward to all of the contracts and the millions and the endorsements that they were looking forward to. And then in a moment, God touched them and said, it's done. It's done because you're continually setting these things in front of me. And until you acknowledge me, this judgment's going to rest upon you. And this is what was happening to Nebuchadnezzar in this place. And we see that God himself gives us these circumstances for five different reasons. And whenever we're humbled, it's basically in this quick order, it's, it's, it's the grace of God shown to us. But number one, we're humbled by our circumstances so that God could grab our attention, could grab our attention. How many of you just go through the motions week after week and day after day, and it takes something jarring to grab your attention to get you out of the cycles that you're in? Anybody? Anybody like me, right? We're just going at breakneck speed, almost being carried along by the tide of life, the tide of responsibility, the tide of even our entertainment or pleasures. And God allows circumstances to humble us, to grab our attention, saying, wake up. 
Wake up. There's something more important than the temporal living that you're giving yourself to over and over again. But number two, he uses the circumstances to show us our limitations. He uses circumstances to show us our limitations. Though the world might puff our heads up and make us think that we're in control of our own destiny, God says, I'm the one, I'm the creator of heaven and earth, and no plan of mine can be thwarted. Ultimately, all creation will stand before me, will stand before me and have to give an account for the way that they've chosen to administer the gifts that I've given them. Number three, to demonstrate his sovereignty and might that he's control, in control of it all and able to flex in the midst of it. And number four, to give you compassion. I don't know about you, but to give you compassion for others who are like yourself but are fully aware of their own weakness as they are in either a present state of need or pain, right? Anybody ever gotten woken up by circumstances before and it's sort of like all of a sudden your eyes or your heart was open to others who always surrounded you might have been in conditions that you now find yourself in, but it's your circumstances that you're presently experiencing that now give you compassion for others. It's what God does to grab your attention and to wake you up, to wake me up. But it's not to leave us in a place like that. It's finally to bring us into a place of grace where when we acknowledge him, to open our eyes to reality. To open our eyes to reality. And we say this over and over again that Jesus described himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And that nobody comes to God, the creator, who's giving him these dreams, who's humbling him in this circumstance. Nobody comes to God except through him. His life, his miracles, his cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead. He says, ultimately, all of you are headed full steam ahead into this reality. When Jesus says, I'm the truth, he says, this is reality. And I'm trying to bring you into a place where your eyes are open to this reality before it's too late. And I will use circumstances. I will use circumstances to humble you so your eyes can mercifully be opened. So you cannot be judged in the end, but instead receive me by grace and receive me as a friend. We're brought to the cross of Jesus Christ that we might be reoriented in regards to that in which we trust. He breaks us through our circumstances and then we begin to reevaluate that which we trust in. Nebuchadnezzar hadn't listened to the subtler signs that were given him prior to this point. So God had to intervene with circumstance, right? Daniel chapter one, he didn't listen. Daniel chapter two, he didn't listen. Daniel chapter three, he didn't listen because most times it was happening to other people and not to him, right? But then finally it wrecked his world. <laughs> and he's like, okay, I'm willing to listen now. Proverbs 28, 19 says it this way, by mere words, a servant is not disciplined. For though he understands he will not respond. <laughs> Was that true of anybody as a child? <laughs> okay. It's like your parents could tell you the same thing over and over and over again. They talk in sweet voice. They talk in stern voices. They talk with threats. They talk with all types of things that they're going to take away. And it's until they actually brought out, maybe for you it was a wooden spoon. <laughs> maybe for you it was actually the 
Anybody? Anybody have like oh, go old school with a switch? Any parents like between their legs or anything or like the fly swatter? Like rapid fire? Okay, anyway. So there were all types of, I know, all types of things. Okay. Or timeout. We'll say timeout too. Okay. <laughs> we'll say timeout too. But it's not, servant isn't, doesn't listen just by words. It's almost like Nebuchadnezzar had to have a megaphone. Nebuchadnezzar's dip into senility was God's megaphone. I've used this quote before, but I think it's good for you to hear it again. It was C.S. Lewis who actually said, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How many people have found that to be true before? In our pleasures, it's almost like we're like, yeah, thanks, God, but I did that myself. (laughs) Anybody? Come on now. In our consciences, it bothers us a little bit, but we're like, yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) But then when pain comes, it's like, hold on, dear God, where are you? Dear God, have mercy on me. It's a dream that wakes us from the delusion. Our lesson, we want to be sensitive and we want to have feet that are sensitive. I heard this described before, like I grew up by uh, a part of my life by, in Charleston, South Carolina by the uh, beach. Anybody like the beach? Okay, but uh, let's see, the beach is nice, but it could get scorching hot if you go barefoot, especially if you have those nice pumice stone feet, right? And then you're going out on the beach, and then it's like, you're hot, 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 you're right, running to the ocean, right? Anybody ever have to do that before? It's sort of like, we want to have those type of uh, feet. We don't want to have callous feet, that you could be walking on anything, be walking on anything, and you don't realize that God's trying to be, um, make a move or an appeal to you. We want to actually, before we're humbled, actually learn the lessons that God himself is trying to teach us. Don't wait to be humbled is the point. Our role is either, again, as Nebuchadnezzar or in our, this case, hopefully as Daniel the translator, right? Daniel the translator helping to interpret, helping him to interpret the lessons that God was trying to teach him. Daniel was used as a translator to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's circumstances as his worldview began to crumble. We must be sensitive, though, that as we're beginning to translate either our own circumstances for, or other people's circumstances for them, as Daniel stepped in for Nebuchadnezzar trying to help him along, help him open his eyes to see what God might be doing in his life, we don't want to be like Job's friends. We don't want to be like Job's friends. Does anybody know what I mean by that? Okay, if not, please go back and read your Bible. Okay, Job's friends were basically those who were know-it-alls who came along talking about all the wrong things that Job must have done to deserve God's judgment. And Job was like, listen, I didn't do anything wrong. I've been faithful to God. I just want to die, you know? And basically they came and piled it on him, almost like kicking him while he was down. We do not want to be people like that. Because how many people have experienced friends like that before? Or family members like that before? Okay? How many people have been Job's friends before? I have. Been like, oh, well, it must have been this. (laughs) And they're like, well, that's not true. Oh, well, it must have been that then. (laughs) No, not that either. You don't want to be Job's friends, but you don't want to, in trying not to be Job's friends, you don't want to shy away from being Daniel. 
you don't want to shy away from actually having an interpretation that will help people have their eyes open and help move them along the angle scale. What we see is that we want to be ready. <laughs> we want to be ready when the house of cards inevitably crumble. The house of cards will crumble. We want to be ready when they do. Before you can interpret someone else's worldview, though, you want to make sure that yours is in right order, which means that you want to make sure you're living according to God's standards, his priorities, and his ways. Why? Because Jesus said, why do you, O man or O woman, look at the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye, right? When you have a big old plank hanging out of your own. He said this, though, first, Make sure to take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to help remove the sawdust from your brothers. You notice that? A lot of times we just think about the idea of like, oh, I don't want to be judgy. I don't want to interfere in anyone's situation or life. And therefore I will say nothing. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, first remove the plank from your own eye, then you'll see clearly why, because I want you to help remove the sawdust from your friends, from Nebuchadnezzar's in this case. And what that will ultimately do is bring them to a place of a doubling in grace, a doubling in grace. First, we're asking ourselves, what, in what do I put my trust? In what do I put my trust? That's how I take the plank out of my own eye. How do I prioritize my own life? What's my worldview? What are the things in which I've put my trust above or before God? How am I ordering my ways? Is it according to the everlasting, ever-living word of God? Or is it according to the streams of the culture around me, the value systems of the culture around me? I need to do a self-evaluation myself. Paul said it this way in Corinthians. He said, test yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. That's a good thing to do. Do a litmus test. Test yourself. How do you test yourself? By comparing how you're living with how the people of God were living in the Scripture. Very simple, right? That's why we have the Word of God. Not everything is prescriptive, but it is descriptive so that God can show us the way that He wants us to live. And ultimately, our model is Jesus Himself, right? Not that we would be Jesus, but that he would be our example by which we judge all things. And he says, first, what are you putting your trust in? How are you spending your time? How are you spending your resources? How are you spending your talents? When he gives you opportunities like these with Nebuchadnezzar, do you take them or do you shy away from them? What is it that you're living for? What is it that you're standing upon? And then as you make sure that it's on the rock of Jesus Christ himself, then you're able to pivot, as Daniel did, to help interpret the dream. Let's end this place with the doubling, in this place with the doubling of grace. In Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 28, we see that Daniel was able to not only proclaim the dream to him, but then he was able to encourage him after it all took place. It says, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. All this came upon him, meaning the thing that God said would happen, it actually happened to him. All this thing, um, this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, and that's so interesting, right? You see, it's sort of like he, there was a starting of the work of God, and then it still took 12 months, a whole year, before it all came crashing down. 
You see that? And you want to be in there along the way, helping people, serving people, loving people as things are happening. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty... So often, just like Nebuchadnezzar, people get unsettled and then they forget about it. Again, that was my story. Not growing up in the church, I had people approaching me with the gospel and then I'd forget about it. I had people approaching me and then I'd forget about it until my walls came crashing down. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling pl- um, shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Can you imagine that? Imagine that in our times, in our world, in your scenarios, in which you find yourself. Because God is moving just like this every day. Every day. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will do what he must to rescue humanity, which he loves. And ultimately, what we see is that there was a doubling of grace. And ultimately, he brought him back from his place of senility and brought him back to a place where he was ruler over a um, a kingdom that God himself had given him in the first place but he gave it back to him after he was acknowledging God in a proper fashion. After he was able to acknowledge that he is in fact king of kings and lord of lords and all that I have I owe to him and my world needs to be built around him. The challenge for us today is to see ourselves in this story. At this point in your life are you Nebuchadnezzar, who God is humbling, 
by his grace to bring you to repentance and an actual faith in him that's true, genuine, and pure, that you might put your trust in the right place? And if not, Nebuchadnezzar, are you in a Daniel scenario? Are you in a Daniel scenario where you have friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors who are around you who might be in the humbling process and they need a man or a woman of God to come along and help them interpret those dreams because they're like, my world is literally falling apart. My world is falling apart. I don't understand why. And I need help. I need help. Somebody tell me the truth. Somebody express some love. Somebody reach out a hand and show me how my world could be rebuilt. We're always one of the two. We're always a recipient of grace or we're one who's helping to deliver it. Deliver it to the world around us. The charge to you today is make sure you know what you are and be faithful. Be faithful to that which God's trying to produce in you or through you. Amen? All right. Let's have the worship team come on up.